Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Anything But Typical podcast. And boy, this one's going to be a fun one. You're in for a treat. Uh, we've got Mark Mahoney and we've got Darren Soule on here. Uh, you're going to hear more about Jackrabbit Technologies and their cool journey and some things that are going to you know, be of real interest to you, especially if you're scaling a company and growing it and it gets to where it's not so much fun anymore or whatever. Um, so, but we're going to start this with the same question I like with each guest that we have. And Mark, I'm going to start with you as the founder of this thing. So here's the scenario. You are backpacking with some family members. You're getting ready to get on the Appalachian Trail and you're in the parking lot and somebody is talking about you because they had seen you roll in, but you're walking by them and they have their back to you. They are not aware that you can overhear what they're saying. What is it that they that you would like them to be saying about you? Um, I guess in regards to business, I, I want them to be talking about how how happy uh, the employees are of Jackrabbit, how happy the clients are, and talking about how well treated both sides feel you know, treated by Jackrabbit and, and by the management team. Love it. All right, Darren, I'm going to change the scenario on you. You're over in your favorite uh, getaway of Fripp Island and you're with your family and you are walking to the beach or maybe you're at your favorite watering hole and uh, after being at the beach and the same sort of scenario, somebody is talking about you, they recognize you in that Speedo and uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, and they, you overhear them talking about you. What is it that you would like them to be saying about you? Thanks, Gary. Yeah, I, it's funny that Mark started with happiness because that's where I was circling as well. And I think that to, and, and to accidentally compliment what Mark is saying, I would hope that they would say that Darren is the guy who made the founders happy again, that he helped scale the business, take it to the next level, bring the fun back or allow the founders to do the things that they enjoyed again. And that I was the guy that, that helped make that possible at Jackrabbit. Well, we're going to hit on the fun factor later on, but Ben, go ahead and, and take us through kind of the next stage and then we'll get back to the fun factor. Yeah, yeah. So before we jump in, I want to give the uh, the listeners just a quick intro. So Mark's a co-founder of Jackrabbit Technologies uh, with a, a really strong sales executive background prior to founding Jackrabbit that we'll dive into. And then Darren's the COO of Jackrabbit. And uh, he came to Jackrabbit with a, a variety of C-suite experience. The same thing, we're going we're gonna to take a, a look at what the different roles led into where he is now and, and kind of how that gives him the skills and abilities to do what he's doing today. So appreciate both of you to come on here and, and share your story with us. Mark, I want to start with you. Let's go into your, your background uh, leading up to Jackrabbit. Give everybody a, a little bit of where you were prior, and then we'll lead into the starting and founding of it. Gotcha. Well, two pertinent things early on in my career. I was a MIS major at the University of Georgia and a gymnast on the gymnastics team. And from there, I was a developer 
for the next eight years, software developer. And then I switched over into software sales after that. And that was the remaining of my career until uh, we started Jackrabbit. Mm-hmm. And, and what was, uh, I guess, the launching off point? What made you found or have the vision for Jackrabbit in the first place? Um, a little bit of backstory. I have been involved with gymnastic software as a side hobby almost since I got out of college. And you know how they talk about how many times you have to fail or to finally get to something. Well, mine was a very long road. Uh, it was a side business helping out a sport that I love and that had given so much to me that I wanted to give back to it. And then fast forward to 04, Mike Carper, the other co-founder and our CTO, we were having lunch up at Brooklyn South up here at the lake and had no intention of starting a business that day. Uh, but I told him, I said, I got this crazy idea uh, that we could take a class management system as it was called back then, uh, that there were lots of those on desktops and I had had experience in that. And I said, if we put it on the web, and again, this is 04, so this is way early for B2B apps. Right. And I said, if we put it on the web, it would eliminate that technical support burden, which really stifled any desktop systems that were trying to sell and support and enhance software to small businesses that had no tech you know, re- resources. So that was the, the start of it. And then Mike and I uh, burned the midnight oil for four years until 08. And of course, 08 was a great year to quit your job and, you know, tell your family, hey, I'm going to quit that W-2 kind of thing. And heart <laughs> pace, you know, has health insurance and all that stuff. And uh, the meltdown's going on, but I want to do this full time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had, you know, the business was doing well. We, we had no outside investors. We still took 50% pay cuts at the time, but the trajectory was there. And we knew we could increase that if we went full-time. So 08, full-time. And then from there, you know, we, uh, the market did uh, begin to embrace um, the, the software and the primary catalyst for us to disrupt the desktop software market into these markets was that we allowed parents to register for classes online. They could change their information, change uh, enrollment information, and that online payments um, were both made possible with online software. So I want want to talk a little bit about what you just hit on there at the end of of some of that innovation and integration. But before that, you had four years where, I think you said burning the midnight oil, right? Where you're you're in the business, but you also have a, a job as well. So what was that like in your life and how did you balance the two? Uh, gotcha. Yeah. So what suffered in that is, you know, I didn't want my family time to suffer were my workout hours. So I love to work out. But that went away. So I, I put on weight during those four years uh, because that was my workout time when we were spending time uh, working on the software. And 
um, that was challenging because, uh, but it was really interesting. One of the things we did since I wasn't able to talk on the phone or do things during the day, it forced us to make the website our support person and our sales person. So we, you know, that was, that was not common back then that I wanted to put all the information on there because I didn't want them having to call me because I couldn't talk to them anyway. And the same went for support. So we, you know, we early on had to lean on that because we had day jobs. Wow, that's interesting. Um, oh, Gary, you're on mute still. There that's all right. I'm just rocking back and forth, okay. and <laughs> okay. enjoying it. <laughs> Perfect. Um, well, let's let's keep going, Darren. I I want to turn to you for a second now because your your background you've got CIO experience, CEO experience, you've got a variety of other as well. So talk to us a little bit about the blending of that different experience uh, because that I'm sure has shaped you in a, a way that most people that stay in one lane their whole career um, don't get the exposure of the other responsibilities. Right. That's interesting. I, I was also an MIS major at Arizona and thought I'd be sitting in a cube writing code my whole career. And I kept uh, getting opportunities to, to really bridge the gap between business and technology, between people and technology. And I found out I really enjoyed it. Um, interesting that Mark talked about one of the reasons for moving software to the cloud or uh, developing a software as a service offering is the, the IT burden on companies. And as a CIO, I learned that firsthand. So I was CIO for a $100 million construction company, and it was brutal. Um, and and you know, we knew we were the ones leveraging technology within the business, but just getting people to stop writing their passwords and Sharpie on their monitors was, it was a, it was a full-time job. So even when we were in control of the internal technology with an internal IT team, running IT within a, a non-technical line of business was, was just brutal. And so I learned all the lessons, you know, move it to the cloud, make it easy, give them the easy button. Um, it cannot be complex. Take IT out of the business and move it away, move it someplace else where it could be managed by IT professionals. So the CIO perspective was one of, you know, don't, don't do that. Don't build an IT organization within a non-technology company because it doesn't work. It's, it's too, too expensive and too difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, also having the software development experience and understanding the power of software and software applications was instrumental in me, you know, uh, understanding how to leverage technology for businesses. And so one of the positive things about my CIO experience is that we could bring in software packages and implement them properly, actually use them, drive value from software where a lot of companies would buy the software and then it never really kind of never really got used. And so I, I was able to go from beginning to end on the process of bringing it in getting the non-technical workforce to understand and embrace it and use it and start to see the value of it. And that was super rewarding. And that, that really was the impetus for me to flip back into the, the solution side, you know, delivering software instead of uh, using software. But yeah, you're right. Being a software consumer and being a software developer has given me probably some unique insights on, again, now as a SaaS provider on how to make sure that we're 
doing the right things to deliver value for our, for our clients. So for anybody listening um, who is familiar with the book Traction and Entrepreneur's Operating System, uh, you're going to understand some of the terminology that we're going to talk about here pretty soon. Uh, for anybody that's not familiar with that, just think of this. Okay, you, you start with a very visionary founder, typically. Um, and a lot of times those founders get something going and then they hit this point where it's not fun anymore or too many roads are leading to them and they need some help kind of uh, operationalizing, if you will, in the EOS world. It's a visionary versus an integrator. And you need really both of those kind of functions, whether you embrace this you know, EOS or scaling up or any other methodology for company growth. But Mark, what I would love to do is have you take us through, you know, some of the, you know, from 2008, as you're growing this thing, you've, you've risked your own capital, you've taken pay cuts, um, you are, you've got the vision in the midst of a headwind called the Great Recession of 2008 and 9 and beyond. And, um, you know, talk to us about that growth, what experience you had there when you actually got into some of the traction and the EOS kind of stuff, um, I'd love to hear some more of that journey. Sure. Um, you know, I think when we were eight to 10 people, uh, we did not have a vision thinking that this company could grow to, you know, to 85 people. Uh, we thought it or I thought it would get to eight to ten, eight or ten, and we'd be we'd be done. The markets were very small; they were very frugal. That was my thought. I was wrong. Um, so when coming up to eight to ten, uh, you know, it's awesome. You've got a small, nimble team. Everybody knows everyone. Everybody knows what's going on. Everybody feels a part of the team. Everybody knows their role, knows their value. It's awesome. And I had been a part of other companies like that. Um, and it, it's incredible to, to be a part of a team like that. And then when we were up at about 20 or 30 people, you know, that's when the infamous growing pains started coming in. And, and the growing pains really were a result of communication. And now we're a virtual company. We've always been a virtual company. That was not by some strategic smart thing to do it was because we didn't have any money of course at first to get an office and then when we did uh, none of us wanted to go in an office because we were doing fine uh, working from home and of course we'd lose people because uh, we didn't know where to put the office so anyway we've been virtual and of course um you know that has its own set of challenges but you know when we got up to that 20, 30 people, that's when things started, you know, we started having some pains. And um, that's when, you know, in the EOS term terminology, um, I was the visionary and the integrator. My co-founder was the development manager back then and the product manager. So I had heard about EOS from some other business owners um, that I was in um, a, a business owners 
forum or organization called EO, which is very confusing when you talk about EOS because they have nothing to do with one another. So I'd heard about this EOS, this framework to grow a company, this management framework. And I was like, you know, this could solve some of those challenges that we've got going on. <clears throat> and at that point, you know, I was, I was feeling burned out um, wearing those two hats of a, of a visionary and of an integrator. I wasn't really doing much visionary work. Um, and I, I was having a real challenge trying to do my integration work. Integrator, you know, coming from, you need to integrate the teams and the leaders that you have in a, within a company. So with those things going on, um, and, and you know, with all that uh, workload and, and beyond capacity issues, I wasn't having fun anymore. And I loved the business, loved our employees, uh, loved the clients, um, still, still love all that, but just didn't want to be working 60 hours a week. Um, and at that point, I didn't want to be working 40 hours a week. Uh, but I didn't want to sell the business. I, I still loved everything about it. So, um, you know, I'd heard lots of horror stories about bringing in, you know, a general manager or a COO or an integrator, whatever you want to call it, derailing the company, derailing the culture, all that stuff. So we, we put it off as, as long as possible. But when I heard about the COS and visited a few companies, I'm like, I think we ought to give this a try. So at that point, we decided to hire an EOS consultant. Uh, and, and of course you could implement EOS, self-implement, do it with the consultant or do it a combination. We kind of did it as a combination. And that's, we timed that, because that gave me a framework and gave me you know, the ability to, to help you know, the, the growing pains were coming from the lack of information flowing up in the organization and the lack of information flowing down in the organization. And people were not, were beginning to not feel part of the team, not feeling um, in the know. Uh, there were some duplicate efforts going on because of lack of communication. So those were some of the things that I saw that EOS could help us with. So Mark, here's the scenario. You, you said that you, you launched this thing for in 2004. You kind of got one foot in the canoe, one on the, uh, the shore, and then you jump all in at the perfect timing of the Great Recession, 08, 09, whatever, but you started in 08. Then you get it to eight to 10 people. You think that, hey, this is probably as good as it's going to get, fine. But then you keep growing to 20 people and then it starts not being fun. Um, and it's not because you don't like the clients and it's not because you don't like your people or culture, but you're not ready to sell, but you're kind of wearing out. So um, what years, approximately, in what year was that when you started moving into exploring EOS and that sort of thing? I would say, you know, we had been thinking about an integrator probably from, oh, it was probably 
2010 until 2016, 17. Uh, that's when it was like, oh, I could really, like, we could really use some help at this level. Uh, you know, the visionary position and role was not being taken care of in the integrator. And I was having a hard time being the integrator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I think it's interesting that you kind of suffered for, you know, six or seven years in that, which, you know, the hesitancy of bringing somebody in, especially from the outside when it's not apparent or when it's apparent that there's not somebody that's probably best suited for that in, in, inside the organization. It's a high risk move because I've seen that fail more often than not. Uh, you know, great pedigree, blah, blah, blah. But for some reason, I don't know, you know, it's chemistry or just not right fit from a work ethic standpoint or just communication, which is always a huge thing. You know, how did you um, come about determining, hey, let's give Darren a, a, a run? Well, so we had two things going, going on right at that time. We had EOS that we were wanting to embrace and that my leadership team, I had Walt come in, uh, do the 90-minute uh, intro about it. I wanted the leadership team to make the decision. You know, they got to own it. And at that time, they saw it. They liked it. They wanted to do it. At, at the same time, looking at EOS, it really flushed out how we'd like to structure the company where um, I could be the visionary and we could bring in a COO. So it was at that time that with, with Walt's help that we decided, you know, since we're going to do both these things, we're committed to doing them. It wasn't an option anymore. It was either that or sell the company. It's like, I don't want to sell the company. So we're going to give this a try. So we decided at that point um, when Darren was hired and, and he had not had any, any experience with EOS per se, and we had talked to him about it. He read the book Traction by Gino Wickman and said he liked it. And he said, well, we'd, we'd like you to be the champion um, on this project. Walt's gonna guide us as the consultant uh, but you're going to be the internal champion. And that turned out to be just awesome. So Darren, I want to flip it to you real quick and get your perspective on, on coming in here, right? Because a lot of this has to do with self-awareness of, of your strengths and weaknesses at the same time. You're, you're coming into this organization, you're learning a new system, and now you're, you're championing it, right? You're the one that's, that's putting all of this into place. So um, talk to us a little bit about that experience. And then I want to hear some more on how you've been, how you were able to implement your strengths into this new organization for you. Sure. Um, this is the third, Jackrabbit is the third experience I've had taking founders, you know, into growth stage or, or helping founders scale. And one of the huge advantages that Jackrabbit had that it actually attracted me to the opportunity was that Jackrabbit had appeared to already have solved the culture problem. And what I mean by that is normally the previous two um, experiences I had coming into organizations, the culture was broken. So my first job was to try to figure out how to fix the culture. 
And so the really cool thing was that culture appeared to be in good shape. So I could come in and really focus on EOS instead of having to focus on culture first. Mm -hmm. And that may seem counterintuitive, but if, if the leadership team isn't, doesn't get it and we're not all singing off the same sheet of music, there's no way EOS is going to help us. So I was thrilled to see that culture was in good shape. Um, then when I read Gino Wickman's book, Traction, fortunately it made sense to me. <laughs> it seemed intuitive. Um, it seemed to kind of codify a lot of the concepts that I had, had used previously or, you know, things that I had wanted to implement in other companies. So Gino did a good job of pulling together multiple um, leadership philosophies and, and gelling them into one kind of what I would call lean framework for operating a company. And I think lean makes sense at, at Jackrabbit stage. You know, we don't, we don't need anything too heavy. We need it to be solid, lean, lightweight, but something that people can, can rally around. So working with Walt Brown, our, our EOS consultant, reading um, what the heck is EOS and traction from Gino Wickman, um, getting to know the leadership team really well. Of course, my new direct reports. Um, and, and just really, I got to go through the EOS implementation with our EOS consultant. You know, at, at, so my ramp and the EOS ramp kind of happened in parallel at Jackrabbit. So I was in, at some point during the EOS consultant's rollout, um, he sort of handed the baton to me. So all of a sudden, you know, the, the leadership quarterlies were being run by me instead of by Walt. And so we made that transition and got to our first annual meeting, our first EOS leadership annual, and the transition was complete for us at that point. And we were able to move forward. Um, so yeah, I, I benefited from a solid culture coming in that, that made it a lot easier. Um, the fact that the leadership team was already rallying around EOS and then it was really just leadership development and organization um, that I had to focus on after that. And what were some of those lessons that you took from the first two that you were then able to utilize in Jackrabbit? Yeah, I'll, I'll just be right out. My, my previous iteration, the previous uh, entrepreneurs that I worked with, I utterly failed at managing upward. Um, I didn't recognize that even though they had hired me as CEO to run the company, I just, I didn't, I didn't fully understand how important it was to make sure that even though it was my company, I had to do a really, really good job of communicating back to them what was going on. And I didn't recognize that hiring me was separating them from their baby. And I wasn't doing a good enough job of, of keeping them informed on how the baby was, was growing up and developing. So I think most of the lessons I took into Jackrabbit that, that were beneficial were understanding that I needed to manage the board or the, the founders. Um, that was as important as getting the operational details and workflows and organizational development right. So I got to jump in. Um, as a coach, one of the, the first thing that I look for is humility and teachability. And for anybody thinking, oh, well, all I got to do is go read Traction and find, find a, an EOS, uh, you know, integrator uh, or, uh, or implementer, um, hey, that's all we got to do. No, 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 no. If you aren't self-aware and you're not teachable and you're not humble, like that question is a, is a vulnerable question that you just asked, Ben. And Darren, thank you for being so vulnerable about that. One other thing that I think is really, really important is if, a, if you're a founder and your culture is a mess, I hate to say it, but look in the mirror and you're the reason. 
And if you have a great culture, it does start at the top. It takes everybody else to buy in and you've got to be uh, hiring and firing, you know, uh, based on that culture and those core values. But I have seen that from afar with you guys. And then as I've gotten to know Darren, he's in a mastermind group with me. And I know his heart. I know his heart. He has this same heartbeat for culture and people. But that was really resounding from you from the very get-go, Mark, about, yeah, you got a passion for gymnastics and technology. That's kind of cool that you've been able to do that. But it was your people. It was your people and your, your customers. And um, you cannot outsource that heartbeat. <laughs> you've got to take a long look at, at, in the mirror and say, do I have it? And if not, Hiring an outside consultant is not going to solve the problem. Um, so another question back to you, Darren. So you, you took those lessons. Um, what were some of the, the biggest challenges and uh, surprises, if you will? And I want you to answer the same question, Mark, from your perspective. What were some of the, the biggest challenges? Because you, you made a bold move to hire somebody that's basically replacing some of the you know the responsibilities that you were carrying that were also weighing you down so um darren i'm going to go back to you first what were some of the challenges and the surprises the happy beautiful surprises from getting into this journey early on that's a it's a great question um the thing that comes to mind first is that mark's partner mike the co-founder was completely overloaded, overwhelmed. Um, and I actually did a, in an early team presentation, I had a diagram of Mike's brain and all the things that were floating in this cloud above Mike's brain. It was engineering manager, product manager, IT manager, and then everything you can imagine in between. And he, he just, he had too much. And I think it was, and again, not to bash, I mean, I think it's, it's common with founders to, to not see that, to not see the submarine is going deeper and deeper. Um, and, and you think everything's okay because things are okay. You know, it wasn't that nothing was on fire, um, but people were starting to get frustrated and it was hard because Mike just had too much on his plate. So one of the first things I had to do was reorganize Mike's brain into, and, and Mark was joking with me at, at the time, wow, it really is expensive uh, breaking up Mike's brain because we had to hire a product manager and we had to hire, you know, so we, we had some hires in there, but it was an early opportunity to get our product management function right and to bring in a great um, product director to lead the charge there. And then I think, you know, for Mike, letting go of that was difficult. In fact, I think we're still in the late stages of that, you know, where Mike is really having to be vulnerable, as you say, and, and, and see the big picture and be willing to let go of a function that he managed for, for a long time. And obviously product was shared with Mark, but, but Mike was the one who was actually doing the design and then, driving it through uh, the developers at Jackrabbit. So having the CTO co-founder let go of some functions and let us build out the right structure and bring in the right leaders to take, you know, to carry the charge forward um, took a lot of, I'll say finesse. I mean, just making sure, talking about managing upward and making sure that Mike understood that this isn't a, this is not an inquisition. It's not an accusation. You've done anything wrong. It's just a natural transition point for us. And so, um, we had some long conversations about that, and, and I think we got there, and we were able to make some great hires and, and build out the product function and, and then bring in and, and really do Scrum correctly. And so we, we have a, a sprint process that's really a, 
I'm proudest of our sprint workflow, probably of any workflow in the company. We've done a great job with that. But that all started with a founder having to let go. And that's, so, that's an interesting challenge. Mark, let's flip this on you now. What, what has this change meant for you? Because you were doing, you were visionary, you were integrator, you, you were wearing too many hats. Sounds like both of you uh, uh, founders were. So what's this change meant for you as far as freedoms, challenges, things like that? Yeah, great, great question. I want to step back for a, a moment. Um, when we have been talking about bringing in a COO um, and, and all the complications and how big a decision that is, uh, one of the things that we ended up doing um, when we made that decision is that we hired a management consulting company, a local one to Charlotte called the Metis Group. And they sat down with us for one day because you know I had my concerns, um, but the leadership team actually had more concerns than I did. You know, I was going to get the benefit of being able to move into a visionary role that I wanted, but you know they loved reporting to me. Uh, there was no heir apparent within the company. Mike did not want the COO role. He he's smarter than me. He knew better uh, based on his skill set. And, and so we sat down and built out an accountability matrix, as they call it, uh, that would address all the leadership's concerns because, you know, they didn't want to be micromanaged. Uh, they didn't want the culture to change. Uh, they liked my style of management. Um, but it was awesome that we built that out and that really gave us uh, a job description, for lack of a better term, a very comprehensive one. So we could go to market and be very specific about the, the soft skills, because that's always the hard part. Is this person going to come in and fit the culture? And that we did a lot of, we had a lot of assessments that they gave us, you know, disc asset assessment, I think it was called a I can't remember the name. There's an acronym for some other assessments that Darren took while he was interviewing that gave us great interview questions and gave us the ability to, you know, understand his strengths and weaknesses. And it also helped him understand our strengths and weaknesses. So once we did that, that gave me a really good comfort feeling that, hey, we can go find somebody from the outside that's going to come in and, and do a great job, both, you know, managing downward and upward and um, preserving the culture. I'm so glad that you went into that depth because you were one of the classic things that I see uh, failing many visionary uh, leaders is they get to this boiling point, the, it, the pain's so high and they just want it fixed, you know, and they short circuit the deliberate work that you did and the introspective work that you did internally, personally, but also with your team. Because without the team buy-in, I don't care how good Darren is, ain't gonna happen. <laughs> you know, they'll sabotage him faster than you can shake a stick, right? And so, that's really interesting. Um, 
so I do want to go back to you, Mark, like give us an example or two of, you know, the, any freedom that you've been able to experience and even some of the challenges of letting go, maybe the pain was so high, you didn't have any problems letting go. I don't know, but, but especially some of the freedom that you've been able to experience in the last, you know, year or two versus before that could not have happened without somebody like Darren. Gotcha. Um, one of the things I'll touch on was, it, I want to touch on is the onboarding process of Darren. So um, he began, uh, it was about a three month onboarding process. So he began sitting in on our leadership meetings. So I was still running them. He had no management responsibility and so he was in on those meetings, those L10 meetings. And um, he had two um, projects to do before he took over the reins, which turned out to be instrumental to his success, in my opinion. Um, he actually interviewed every single employee. We tried to interview most of them face-to-face uh, but he interviewed every one of them. We had a Google Doc set up with all the questions. They were very open-ended questions. And it was his chance, you know, not to take our word for what we thought our issues were and our strengths. It was his chance to hear it, you know, from all the workers, from everybody. So he did that. And of course, that takes a while to get into everybody's schedule. And then the other project he had, he did the same with clients. So, you know, he could hear from the client's viewpoint what our strengths were, what our weaknesses were, our issues, or more importantly, our issues and challenges. And it, it was awesome because we would, uh, Mike and I would meet with him weekly to talk about what he found. And of course, we could see it all in our Google Doc, what was, what was going on. So um, with those two projects going on, and then at the beginning of the fourth month is when um, he began to run the leadership meetings. And I believe um, I stepped out of the leadership meeting so we didn't have two leaders in on the same meeting. Is that right, Darren? I think that's, that's right. right. But it was only two months. Oh, we two accelerated. Months. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, so that was, you know, at that time, you know, um, when you're talking about, you know, when you're letting go of this thing, you know, I'm getting feedback, of course, um, on Darren, um, his interactions with employees, they're getting comfort level with him. The leaders are getting a comfort level with him. And, and he's getting the comfort leader with them. And then also with the clients. And the, the good thing is, is that all the things we had told him, what our perception was of our strengths and weaknesses um, was true. And that he really didn't uncover, thank goodness, any things that we weren't aware of, you know, landmines. And so, you know, that, that was a great comfort that, you know, we had a, you know, EOS has a very standard way of running a meeting. It's, they're called L10 meetings. And so there was a very structured way to run a meeting. So it, 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 it's a nice thing that, hey, we're still gonna run the meeting the same way. We're just gonna have a different person running the meeting. 
So at, at that point, you know, there was comfort level all the way around. I think it was awesome that he didn't step in and take the reins immediately, uh, that he got to know everybody. And I didn't want him to have, you know, because I know once you become step into that integrator, I know the workload that comes in with that immediately. And uh, we didn't want that on his shoulders while he was getting to know the company and the clients. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mark, one of the, the things I'm really interested in is you just talked about that onboarding and the implementation of it all, right? Uh, what are a couple of the lessons you learned that if you went back, you would have been able to improve on or vice versa, what we're doing now is really sharing for the listeners uh, of lessons you didn't know going into it that, that others can do that you didn't? Well, I, I think the first thing that comes to mind is we implemented EOS way too late. You know, I didn't know about it at the time, but I wish we would have implemented it when we had eight to 10 people. Uh, it's not an overkill thing at that size organization. It provides a lot of structure, uh, but not structure with overhead or red tape. Uh, so that's the number one thing I was like, oh, if we'd have known about EOS and were smart enough to implement it when we were small, uh, we would have grown much, uh, I think, more quickly and less pain, less growing pains, as they call it. So that's a lesson learned. <clears throat> I, I have an advisory board that gave me a lot of guidance on how to onboard a COO, and I, I took them for uh, what they're worth. And then I also spoke to uh, a business consultant that we had at the time about his experience about having a COO, uh, about his experience coming on to a company as a COO. And one of the things that was, he was loud and clear about was if any of those leaders, once the COO steps in, takes over the reins, if any of those leaders come to you, you know, with backdoor or back channel conversations, you got to end those. You cannot have those because you will undermine the, you know, the COO. So luckily, I, I think, um, luckily we didn't have any, I didn't get approached by any of those leaders to my memory. But if I had, I would have immediately said, we got to get Darren on the phone or have you spoken to Darren about this? If you, whether you had or not, you got we got to get Darren on the phone and we got to figure this out. And of course, that meant that Darren's going to figure it out. But it's like you can't, we cannot be going end around on Darren because that'll, you know, that'll defeat the whole purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, Darren, on, on your perspective of all this, what were some of the biggest challenges? You talked earlier about how culture was fortunately not a big hurdle or challenge. What were some of those big challenges you had at the beginning? Right. I mean, we touched on organization. So yeah. we, had, we had some leadership, I guess, deconsolidation we needed to do. We needed to bring on some additional leaders to handle the load. You know, the leadership team really liked working for Mark, and Mark mentioned that. You know, Mark used the term they loved working for him. It, it's true. Um, and so there was a lot of uncertainty and I wouldn't say fear, but maybe, maybe a little bit of anxiety about, you know, how my relationship with my leader just kind of got severed and reconnected to this new guy who I've known for two to four months, you know? And, and so I think there was some 
you know, obviously one of my jobs was to earn their trust and it was a work in process, but there was some anxiety there because Mark was just somebody that they had complete and unconditional trust for. And so big shoes for me in terms of filling you know, the relationship role at, at the leadership team level. Um, we also, I think, accelerated the pace of change. I, I believe in decision velocity and I, not, you know, I think we had, the, the way the leadership team meetings were structured in the past, um, pre-EOS, there was a lot of um, consensus decision-making. And, you know, I think the leadership team got really comfortable with, you know, they get around the table with Mark and if Mark nodded, okay, good, we're golden. If Mark shook his head, okay, we're not going to do that. And there was a lot of safety in that for the leadership team. Okay, so first of all, to anybody listening, man, there are some powerful, powerful examples of what to do versus what not to do, which is like, be very intentional Make sure that if you're bringing in somebody like a COO or a really strong number two from the outside, that you set them up for success and that you don't throw all those responsibilities on them immediately. The project move where you, it's kind of like the voice of the employee and the voice of the customer where you made that a project for Darren, that is beautiful. Um, and then shutting the back door, you know, uh, I call it, um, going to mom if uh, dad doesn't do what you want him to do and vice versa, you know, it's like, let's you and him fight, you know, <laughs> which is a divide and conquer tactic that can work for the kids, but it's terrible for the parents. So uh, that's really good. So Mark, I'm gonna go back to this question, which is, you know, having gone through that process so methodically and there's so many things that you did right on this. It's just not even funny. I mean, it could be, it could be a Harvard business case as far as I'm concerned on how to do it right. Um, talk to me about the, the comparison and contrast between, man, this is really not fun anymore to now we've got somebody I trust the team trusts our clients and customers trust what has give us an example or two of some freedoms that you don't think would have been possible before that have been possible in the last you know year to 18 months or so gotcha um well one of my goals when we sat down and and, and was talking about the role is that i wanted to move to working part-time um i didn't didn't want to go completely off the reservation, but I wanted to be, you know, be working part-time two to three days a week. I didn't want to be on a schedule anymore. Uh, that was, that was another thing that became very apparent to me. And so um, it's been incredible. You know, the amount of energy that I have now um, is awesome uh, for, for anything, for personal business. Darren and I meet once a week, um, either virtually or face-to-face, -face, uh, for one to two hours, uh, running through things. And um, we have calls as needed, but that doesn't happen very often. Um, one of the things, I have to be very careful anytime I'm talking to an employee, because anything that comes out of my mouth can be taken or construed as a directive. So I have to be very careful about that. Uh, some of the things that I love to do within the, um, 
within the businesses, speaking at conferences. You know, I, I love chatting with, you know, clients or, you know, our key clients, any type of clients, attending conferences, speaking at conferences. Um, I'm also looking for new markets for us. Uh, I also am very competitive, so I'll, I still like to keep a tab on our competitors. I don't let that go very far at all. Um, other things I love to do is innovation ideas. You know, what are other SaaS companies like us, either in our markets or especially outside our markets? What are they doing? You know, uh, our payment side of our business, uh, we process about $1.5 billion in electronic payments. And that's a revenue stream for us. So uh, I like to keep tabs on that. You know, that's a business that's changing very quickly these days. So we have to stay on top of it. And then other things, either any special projects that make sense for me to take or that I want to take are are the things that, that I now get to do. It's awesome. That's pretty cool. What you just described um, without knowing it, uh, I, I like doing a T-chart. It's super simple and it's called the Thrive Wither. <laughs> and the, on the left side is the Thrive. What makes you come alive? And you just described all of those things. And the Wither things you know, were probably the things that were dragging you down, you know, at the 20 employee uh, mark and beyond. And being able to shed those wither things, you may be really good, you had to have been proficient at them, but they were just wearing you out. And um, I think for anybody listening, if you can just get it down to that simple thing, if, if it's not being fun, the likelihood is you're very proficient at some of these things in your wither column, but there are too many of those in there. What I'm hearing is it's enabled you to do the stuff that you love to do. And Darren, you know, in seeing how your, you know, your, your d demeanor, your disposition, when I see you every other week at uh, Original Pancake House and we're, we're talking about how do we make the world better? <laughs> I see your engagement. I see your level of like, you love this company and you love what you're doing, which is really cool. Um, so as we're getting ready to wrap up, you know, I would love your thoughts for anybody considering like where you're getting to that point where it's no fun and you're considering needing a really strong COO or a number two that you could, as a founder could walk away from and same way for you, Darren, like what are a couple nuggets that you would leave with anybody to just put a, a exclamation point on this uh, broadcast? Yeah, I, I would say having EOS or something similar to EOS, like scaling up a framework in, in the company from a founder CEO standpoint, really get things um, organized. Uh, that would be my number one thing. And if, if, if EOS is being run correctly, then so many other things fall into place. You know, the, the management framework, the leadership framework, the core values and the culture, um, the reporting of information up 
the report, the flow of information down through the organization, uh, the integration of the teams, no matter if you're a six person company or 60. Um, I think that's, that's something that needs to be done and should be done early on, you know, 10 people or so would be my first thought. And then, um, you know, making sure that when you're looking to hire a COO, promote within or hire from outside, that that is clearly defined uh, what their role is, which EOS will help with that. Um, but that you do assessments to, to really get a good understanding as to what the strengths and weaknesses, skills and talents are of the COO, because they're not going to be unicorn, they're going to have weaknesses, um, but getting those out on the table and understanding what they are, same thing with organizations, not going to be perfect, what our strengths and weaknesses are, if you can get all those out, um, you can avoid, you know, stepping on landmines, um, which can be painful and can really derail, you know, the, the, the onboarding or the project. So those are a couple of things that come to mind. Then Darren, what about for you? I think what Mark said is great. I, I would add to that. Mark and Mike did a fantastic job and it was, I don't know if they realized how valuable this was when they did it, but they really sat down and identified five core values for Jackrabbit that were deep and meaningful and that the company could live. And what they taught me, and I didn't know this until I worked at Jackrabbit for a year or two, I didn't realize how important having those solid real core values were to my ability to preserve the culture. And I knew, you know, my big stress coming in was I mean, I, I loved it that the culture was in place and it was already in good shape, but it scared me at the same time because I knew that I had to preserve, if I screwed up the culture, that was my number one way to get fired, right? And, or, or to fail is probably the better way to put it. And so, um, you know, there's a lot, when we get together with employees, we test employees on core values, we review alignment with core values every quarter with our quarterly conversations with employees. So it's a big deal and there's so much more than a plaque on the wall, but Core values are the glue that allow me to hold the culture together. And so it was just such a great foundation. Everybody aligns to the core values. Well, that makes, that makes culture preservation that much easier. So if founders and companies don't have meaningful core values defined, I think that's step one. Don't do anything else until you've done that. Because as you grow, you're never going to be able to preserve the culture if you haven't told people what the culture values. And so... That, that would be my, my first piece of advice. Yeah, that's great. Um, Gary, anything else for, for these guys? I just say a big amen to that one. Um, that is not just fluffy stuff. Um, and I think we're seeing more and more, especially after Simon Sinek has become a household name and that sort of thing. But without core values that are real and that you are willing to hire based on and fire based on even your biggest uh, contributors that, you know, are offending those things. That's when you know whether they're real or not, you know, but um, those are the things that make the difference <laughs> and, and uh, they are just not fluffy things. They, they have such deep 
tangible impact. It's not even funny. And you guys get it. I mean, you really get it. So no, this is fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much for yeah. taking the time. And I hope many people pay attention. So go ahead and take it, Ben. Yeah. Close no, it. thank you both. Uh, where, where can we send people so they can follow you? They can check out the company. Where are the best places for people to go? Uh, we've got a few places. LinkedIn, you can look up uh, Jackrabbit Technologies there. Uh, our website is jackrabbittech.com. And uh, we've got a, a Facebook uh, company page and a LinkedIn company page. That's all I can think of. Perfect. We'll put those in the, in the show notes. Thanks again. We appreciate it. This was amazing. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks a lot.